Welcome to the Amy Rushworth Show. I'm your host, Amy. I'm so glad you're here. I'm an empowerment and sexual wellness coach, breathwork teacher, podcaster, course creator, badass bitch, and a globally recognized thought leader on empowerment. And I'm here to help you if you're ready to fuck off the rules and create a life of unashamed, unapologetic pleasure and deep, deep confidence. I have a burning passion for the taboo and naughty areas of womanhood that we're not supposed to talk about, such as sexual wellness, bold self-expression, defying social expectations, and so much more. The topics that we're typically taught to shut up about or be ashamed of are the conversations I live for, and those are the kind of juicy, soulful chats that are going down on this show. My intention is for you to step into your most outrageously free, unapologetically expressed version of you. So if that sounds like a vibe, let's fucking go. Are you ready? Hey, beautiful human, welcome back to the show. Absolutely pumped to bring this conversation forward to you, to your life. This is one of my greatest passions, this topic, and it's a huge part of my mission and probably one of the reasons why you're here, why you're attracted to this show or to my work, and that is how to stop people-pleasing. I'm going to give you so many golden nuggets, so many pearls of wisdom in this episode. So definitely write notes or just listen and really let it absorb into your being, let your heart feel it. And if you love it, what I want to kind of tease for you is that this episode, this conversation is kind of like module one in the upcoming program that I'm going to be bringing sometime in the next like month or two months don't have the start date yet but the program is called burn the rules and I really feel like this course this offering this experience that I'm creating is going to be a part of my life's work for years and decades to come and so if you love this episode then you're just going to absolutely love sinking your teeth into that program Um, and so this is exciting we get to start module one of that program right here in this particular conversation so let's get down to it how to stop people pleasing the first number one thing that you need to look at and really start to understand and feel into is why you do it. Why do you people please? And a lot of people who have identified that they're a people pleaser, they notice the ways that they do it. Sometimes they can feel like, oh, why do I do this? You know, sometimes knowing that you do something isn't actually enough to transform it. And in many ways, it can make you feel more frustrated about the people pleasing because it's no longer an unconscious behavior. It's something that you're conscious that you're doing, but you haven't managed to shift it yet. And so in many cases that's even more infuriating you know because uh it's like you're consciously seeing what you're doing but you haven't yet transformed it whereas when you don't know you're doing it sometimes that's even less frustrating because you're just living in denial or living in ignorance as they say ignorance is bliss which I don't totally agree with but 
You know what I'm saying? So understanding why you do it is going to help you to consciously, mentally start the process of unraveling the people pleasing and creating new empowering behaviors, attitudes, approaches. Uh, But it is just the first step. But it's important that you start here at this first step so that you're able to actually transform it over the long term sustainably and feel really good about that. If we don't understand why we do something and why we want to change something, it's very hard to actually change it. So understanding why we people please comes with an understanding that we don't do it because we're broken or because we're faulty or even because we want to do it. We do it as a way to protect ourselves and what we're protecting ourselves from most usually is the fear of abandonment and it also comes from like a purer and a sweeter place within you which is that need for intimacy the need to belong the need to have close relationships the need to feel loved and to feel safe and those needs aren't wrong or broken at all you know these are the things that make us human and those are really sweet needs that we all have so We're doing it to protect ourselves from being abandoned and because we need that intimacy. But the way that we've been conditioned to stop that abandonment from happening or to try and resist it from happening and to get close with others, to have intimate relationships where we don't feel we will be abandoned is through people pleasing. It's one of the ways that many people do it. But as you'll know, if you've identified that you're a people pleaser, this strategy doesn't actually lead to that long-term safety and intimacy that you are really craving. It kind of creates a superficial intimacy or a superficial protection from that fear of abandonment. And in many cases, you might be able to remain close with people or have people in your life because you're using that strategy of pleasing them or saying what they want you to say or being what you think they need you to be but that's often at the expense of your own well-being that's at the expense of your authenticity that's at the expense of taking care of yourself and pouring from the overflow so I think this first step is key because it helps us to stop blaming ourselves for doing it especially if you know that you're doing it and you consistently keep people pleasing and thinking oh why do I keep doing this And we can start to reframe it and see it in a new light and understand that there is a deep part of us that is afraid of being abandoned, that needs intimacy, that needs love. And this part of us developed and grew to think that this strategy was the way that we did that. So this part of you that does it really loves you. This part of you that people pleases wants to meet your needs. It's there to help you. But what you might start to realize as you're maturing and becoming more self-aware is like, okay, I get that this part of me is trying to meet my needs and trying to get something here that feels on the surface positive, but the strategy, the way that it's going about getting these needs met is not coherent or congruent with my highest good. It's not actually allowing me to feel like I'm ever good enough. It's not allowing me to have the depth of authenticity in their relationships. It's not allowing me to feel safe, even though it's trying to get that temporary safety. I'm not feeling that deep sense of safety and unconditional love and positive regard from people around me because that love and that 
closeness that I'm getting from these people is coming almost from a slightly fake version of me or it's coming from a part of me that needs to shrink itself in some way in order to keep them there. Now, part of this is releasing that blame towards yourself, but it's also understanding, well, how did this part of me come to originate? And it can originate in us from different things. So it might be because of the way that you were parented or the way you learn to get love from one of your parents or your caregivers or the way that you assimilated into your school group when you went to school and how you learned to fit in there. But for a lot of us, I think it comes from this kind of doctrine or this cultural norm that we have where we're taught that the highest form of respect is compliance. So you can see this in a lot of ways that people parent their kids. And even if you look at what you're taught in school, for the most part, it's like to be safe, to be loved here, to get good energy from other people uh, rather than punishment or being ignored. If we are to be compliant, that's considered a form of respect. So if you listen to what your mother says, And she says, hey, you're such a good girl, you know, and she gives you that warm energy and that loving energy of like, thanks, you're being such a good girl today. We start to learn like, oh, okay, when I'm compliant, that's how I'm giving someone respect and I'm getting my needs met. Or if you think about school, right, the star students in school are the ones usually who are most compliant with the rules, who do things that the adults say that they should do and they be who the adults say they should be. And that's also sometimes really explicitly told to children and students in schools is like the highest form of respect for your teacher is to do what they say. And so it makes sense that a lot of us are conditioned and almost groomed throughout our formative years, throughout our childhood and adolescence is that the way that we show respect is to be compliant, but to be compliant with what other people expect of us, to be compliant with what the quote-unquote rules are here and then that sort of gets transplanted into adulthood with being compliant as a form of respect in your career so even if your boss is being an absolute asshole it's like to give that person respect and to have safety and to keep your job and to say uh, get a promotion or to have people say you're doing a great job you're excellent at what you do it's to be compliant with the rules of the culture in that workplace or it's to be compliant with what your friend group expects of you and this shows up differently for every single person being compliant doesn't just show up as necessarily how it might do in school like being polite or you know being the straight a student You could be compliant with your friend group as an adult by being really rebellious and really like crazy with your friends and the friend that's always getting into trouble and everyone gets to laugh about it and have a, you know, big chat about it and it's really funny and that becomes your compliant identity in the group. But then you start to change maybe, maybe you stop drinking so much and you stop wanting to go out and then you're not being compliant with who people expected you to be and sometimes there's fallout with that. So a lot of the women that I speak to, and this is also my experience, have found that when they start going on a spiritual awakening, becoming more self-aware, starting to set boundaries, love themselves more, they're starting to let go of that people-pleasing 
tendency, there can be a fallout with other people because they're like, hey, this isn't who I said that you were allowed to be or this isn't what I expect you to be. Go back to being how you were before because I was more comfortable with that. And so we can have that fear of abandonment that comes up where we have a push-pull between who we want to be but then who other people really expect us to be. And this can be really debilitating. This can be really hampering on your growth or hindering to your growth because given the choice, do I want to do what I want to do or do I want to be safe and loved and for people to accept me? Our needs are always going to trump precedence over our desires. So this is just like biology and the brain. You are always going to try and get your needs met before you get your desires met because your needs are needs and your desires are wants. And biologically, we're wired to try and get our needs met first. And one of our deepest needs is for safety and belonging. Uh, because humans, you know, we're interdependent creatures and we were wired this way from birth so that we could survive. Because, you know, when you're born, you can't meet all your needs. You rely on other people to meet your needs, to clothe you, to feed you, to make sure that you don't get eaten by a tiger, you know, to teach you how the world works. And so it's a really deep wired, deep set part of us that wants to get those needs met. And if we only ever been used to getting those needs met through other people as adults it's very hard to then just abandon that and be like well I'm just going to go and be the person I desire to be even though you guys are upset and even though you've kicked me out the friend group or even though you know um, I really want to do this but my parents are saying they're going to disown me if I do that or they're very disapproving of me doing that so it becomes a really deep conundrum and it can feel really unsettling And so that can be a situation where we shrink back into the people pleasing. And it's not because you're not disciplined. It's not because you're not passionate and determined and motivated. It's because you haven't found a way to get those needs met. And so the desire then falls down the priority list. And this is all very like subconscious. A lot of this is rooted in the more primal part of your brain. And so it's in instincts, you know, it's instinctual. And it's got a very like deep grip on us. But there are ways for us to change this, not to change the biology, but for us to change how we get our needs met in different ways that are healthy and conducive to our thriving, to who we want to be, to the relationships that we want to have and build the confidence so that we can then still go and get those desires or live out that life or be the person that we want to be. But it starts with this understanding of where does this people-pleasing tendency come from? Uh, Where am I choosing compliance over self-respect? And how can I start to shift the narrative so that this part of me that's afraid can start to feel safer and feel supported? And a lot of this is to do with your adult self, your conscious adult self, soothing and supporting this younger self within you, this deeper self within you that does get afraid of being abandoned, that does get afraid if, you know, you step outside the box that your needs for intimacy, safety and belonging won't be met. Now, within this awareness and this understanding stage, part of what we need to start figuring out is what are all the rules that we've been taught to follow 
or that we've absorbed that we use as a way to get love. So what are the rules that you follow or you comply with that a part of you thinks are the way to get love? Now, typically anytime you use the word should, not always, but a lot of the time if you're using the word should, that language can be pointing to where there's this unspoken rule that you're living by. I should be this. I should be further along. I should be this or I shouldn't be this. So I would recommend if you're resonating with this and you're on this journey to transforming people pleasing so you can step into your most empowered self, starting to look at the language of should and shouldn't and maybe even making a list or an inventory of what are all these shoulds and shouldn'ts that I'm internally harboring or living by that may not be in alignment with my higher self. And even before you get to that piece around being in alignment with the higher self or not, just start with looking at what are the things that I think I should or shouldn't be or should or shouldn't do, should or shouldn't say. And this is going to be like a compass for you. You can think of these as little flag posts red flags maybe, that are leading you down the garden path of the deeper consciousness that's residing within you that exists to try and make sure that you're safe and you get love. And that curious garden path that we start to go down begins to reveal to us the areas in which we desire transformation, where we could be more empowered, the parts of us where we get triggered or afraid all of that is going to give rise to more awareness around what you're working with when it comes to transforming this pattern. And another list that you can start to organically curate in your mind is looking at the things that other people do that activate you. Now, sometimes people are going to do things that activate you because what they're doing is in complete contrast to what your values are. And so seeing them do that makes you feel annoyed because you're like, that's not how I roll. You know, what you're saying is harmful or what you're saying is this. But a lot of times people can activate these deep emotions in us or these responses from us because they are embodying something that a part of us thinks, well, I'm not allowed to do that. So why can you do that? And I've often found this with women who eventually become my clients and we have these really close relationships and everything's amazing and vibing and I'm able to help them loads. A lot of them share with me that when they first discovered me on social media, uh, they first started listening to the show or um, following the work that I do, that there would be things that I said or just the way that I even carry myself through life that activated a visceral response in them and not always positive right sometimes it's like not positive at all and what they started to uncover and what unfurled was that something about my energy the way that I carry myself my confidence was shining a direct piercing light onto where they weren't allowing themselves to be that free or to be that powerful that outspoken and so the initial reaction felt like 
well, fuck her, (laughs) you know, fuck you, Amy. But as they started to courageously go into what was beneath that, they discovered like, oh, this is where I'm people pleasing. Uh, You know, sometimes people pleasing isn't just the obvious stuff where we're pandering to people and just letting them walk over us. Sometimes we are people pleasing just in how we express ourselves, what we allow ourselves to do, what we allow ourselves to dream about and go for. And so be mindful of this when you are feeling activated by other people or even jealousy is a really good one. If you're feeling really jealous or comparing yourself to someone, sometimes that is actually showing you, hey, this is an area that you want to be more empowered in. This is an area of life or this is an expression that you haven't given yourself full permission to claim and to step into. And this person is kind of like a mirror for this part of you that really wants to be healed, but doesn't know how to heal itself right now. And so you can take responsibility for that and say, okay, I feel this feeling, this feeling is valid, but it's also showing me like, hey, I really want to step into blazing my trail in that way. Or I want to be able to show up with that audacity or with that deep self-love. Now, the next stage of this journey to releasing the people-pleasing, and I think this is a really, really powerful one, so definitely pay attention to this, is identifying the payoffs versus the cost. The payoff versus the cost. Now, this is so important because people-pleasing, yes, it's a conditioned behavior, but it's a habit, right? Anything that we're consistently doing or is really informing how we habitually move through life and behave, it's a habit. Now, if you look at the science of behavior change, it's very, very, very difficult to just remove a habit from your life, especially a long-standing one. And for most people who are people pleasers, they learn this very early in their lives and in childhood. So this is maybe one of the longest standing habits that you have. It might just take different shapes and forms in different seasons of life. And you might get more and more confident, but it is a habitual thing. And so we can't just say, I'm just going to stop people pleasing and not do anything else because that relies completely on willpower And willpower is not very strong, right? Uh, A lot of people get really down on themselves when they try and implement a new habit and they rely only on willpower and only on changing surface level behaviors. And then it doesn't last very long. And then they think, oh, I'm just not disciplined enough. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Part of creating behavior change and habit change is changing who you are on an identity level and the beliefs that come with that identity, And the other piece of this is that when you simply remove a habit, cold turkey, what is missing is that this habit exists or originated to solve some kind of problem for you. It's there to meet a need for you, like I was saying at the start of the episode. So if you just remove the habit, how is that need going to get met? And this is why when people just really extremely remove a habit and they don't have anything to substitute it, usually that addiction or that habit then pops up in a different way, like whack-a-mole. So, you know, some people, they may give up smoking cold turkey, for an example, and then they're just relying on willpower and willpower, but they didn't examine, well, why did I feel the need to start smoking in the first place? 
It's not to do with a cigarette. It's to do with a need that that cigarette and the feeling of smoking it was giving them some kind of comfort or maybe the ability to self-soothe. Or if they were feeling lonely, it was a distraction from that loneliness. So when you look at habits through that lens, it becomes very clear that you can't just remove people pleasing as a habit. We have to get clear on what does that habit meet as a need? What is it providing me? And then is there a substitute that I can put in its place that helps me to still meet that need, but in a healthier way? So how this relates to the payoff versus the cost, we want to look at what is the payoff of people pleasing? So what little payoffs do I get? And it could be, for example, say you say yes to someone when you really wanted to say no. The payoff would be, I didn't upset them. They don't think that I'm a bad person. I'm not going to have to have an argument or a confrontation. Maybe you don't like conflict. And so you're looking at these little payoffs, right? But then secondary to this, there is a cost, What is the cost of doing that every single day or every single week for the rest of your life? So the payoff of, let's take the smoking example again, the payoff of smoking that cigarette means that you might feel comfort, you might feel a sense of peace, you might not feel so lonely, but then what's the cost of doing that every single day for the rest of your life? With people-pleasing, what you may notice is that the short-term payoff is you get to avoid conflict you get to get that need for closeness intimacy belonging met but what's the long-term cost what's the long-term cost of not being fully authentic with people what's the long-term cost of saying yes over and over again when you really mean no when your body is screaming no when your heart is screaming no What is the long-term cost of being in relationships where you have to shrink parts of yourself in order to be accepted or to fit in? And this can be a bit of a confronting exercise, I will warn you, but sometimes we actually need that confronting in-your-face examination and understanding of what we're really doing to get the memo, to get super clear on like, okay, wow, This feels really innocent in the moment. This feels like not a big deal when I say yes, when I mean no. But actually, if I thought about that through the entire scope of the rest of my life, if I was 80 years old looking back on my life, I would be horrified by that. And that can be confronting, but it also gives us power and it can give us motivation to say, you know what, something needs to change. And I'm going to take responsibility for changing it, even though it's hard. Sometimes when things are hard, it's easy to get complacent and to just let things slide, right? So easy to do that. So I find understanding what that long-term cost is almost gives me the power and the fire under my ass to go, hey, this might seem like a really subtle thing, but I need to nip this in the butt or I need to create a healthy substitute for this behavior so that I can get what I want in the long term and so that I can be the person that I'm meant to be and to have authentic expression and relationships and a life that I actually love, not a life that I'm tolerating or settling for. I think of all the 
approaches that I'm mentioning here, this is probably the most important when it comes to changing that pattern and that behavior, because what we tend to do as humans is we don't like change so much, right? Our nervous system, our comfort zone, uh, in a child doesn't really vibe with change, even though consciously we might think, well, yeah, change sounds amazing. <laughs> Love variety. There's a part of our consciousness and our brain that likes things to be familiar. It makes us feel like we're in control and safe. And so sometimes what this part of us can trick us into is over amplifying the pain that will happen if we change so if we stop people pleasing it feels like a big painful thing and it underestimates the pain of remaining in the same patterns because those patterns even though they might be harming you and they might be uncomfortable they feel familiar and so our brain sometimes thinks oh my god the pain of changing would be so much worse than the pain of just doing what I've always done and letting things slide and just doing the same old stuff and actually if you look at the payoff versus the long-term cost almost always that long-term cost is going to be so much more painful than the price or the you know the pain that you would experience if you dared to change if you dared to transform the people pleasing if you dared to say no if you dared to heal these parts of you that have been conditioned to put other people's happiness and expectations above your own happiness and well-being the other thing that is so important to mention is boundaries but I want to speak to boundaries in a bit of a different way than what I see them being spoken about usually in the common mainstream self-help world so I feel like boundaries used to be a bit of a taboo thing and then they became really popular and in many ways that's so amazing like hell yeah to women setting boundaries and like knowing who they are and raising their standards etc but sometimes boundaries we can use them almost as like a way to try and control other people so that they make us feel the way that we want to feel inside Now, I think boundaries can be really beautiful ways to cultivate an environment that is reciprocal, that, uh, you know, both people feel met within, that allow you to show other people like, hey, this is how I want to be treated. But if we just kind of throw boundaries out at other people, hoping like, I'm going to put this electric fence up here and try and make you treat me the way that I want to be treated. I think that that's a misuse of boundaries. That's not what a boundary is. There is a difference between a boundary and a request. A request is asking someone like, hey, I would prefer if you would be able to do this for me. Or hey, when I share this, how I really would like to ask you if you can meet me is A, B and C. Or when I share my feelings with you, I would love it if you could just not interrupt me and hear me out and just try and hear this through a lens of love and really hear what I'm saying. Can you do that for me? That's a request. And I think a lot of people use boundaries as requests, but they're not compatible. They're not the same thing. The other way that some people use boundaries is to put up walls between themselves and other people. So it's like... If I don't want to deal with this conversation or this conversation feels hard, I'm just going to cut you out. And I don't think that's healthy either. I think we need to be able to have difficult conversations. I think we need to be able to have conversations where maybe we don't agree with each other, but we're trying to find that mutual understanding. 
Now, that doesn't always work out with every single person. Sometimes we have incompatible needs. Sometimes we make requests and other people cannot meet them. And that's when you would set a boundary. When you've requested something, maybe repeatedly, and that person can't give you what you need or what you want, or they refuse to, in which case you would then have a boundary with that person. But sometimes people can put up these boundaries. And I've certainly done this in the past, thinking that I was super empowered, but I don't think I actually was, where I put up a boundary almost as a way to avoid having that messy, complicated, like intimate conversation that wasn't necessarily straightforward and felt really confronting. So instead of having that conversation, I guess I convinced myself that setting a boundary was the way that I stopped people pleasing. But what was left was kind of like this gap where it didn't get fully resolved or where the boundary just became another way of protecting myself from having that kind of conversation. So I think boundaries with ourselves are probably the most crucial part of people pleasing because we can't control how other people behave. We can make requests and we can set boundaries, but ultimately we can't control how other people choose to show up, how they meet us, how they love us, how they respond to our truth, how they respond to our choices. We don't have control over that. We have communication tools. And then we have boundaries within ourselves. We get to choose if we're going to remain in relationships that don't honor us. If you've made requests and you've set boundaries and it's not working, ultimately the boundary then becomes within yourself. And sometimes the boundary within yourself actually begins before making requests of other people. Because people pleasing, while it may have been conditioned into you through other people and while other people might benefit from the way that you people please so the way that you never say no to them or the way that you're so easygoing with them ultimately you are the one who is engaging in that behavior and you can't control their behavior but you can be responsible for your behavior and healing the parts of you that behave in that way if you've identified like, hey, these behaviors are not for me anymore, but I need to learn how to heal this part of me so that I can change it. So sometimes the boundary is within yourself. It's being mindful of when you just say yes on autopilot or the way that you don't speak your truth and making those boundaries and those commitments within yourself and asking yourself, Well, you know, what boundaries do I need to have with myself so that I can show up and authentically communicate who I am to others? What boundaries do I need to have within myself when I speak my truth and someone doesn't meet it in a kind way or they don't approve of it? What boundaries am I going to have within myself in those moments? How am I going to lead myself through those moments? What am I willing to work with? What am I willing to messily work out with other people? And where is the line for me? What am I not available to do? And I actually think these are some of the hardest boundaries for most of us to set. But in the same breath, these are probably the most revolutionary boundaries when it comes to transforming people-pleasing tendencies. You have the power. And if you don't respect your own boundaries, how can you 
with integrity ask people to respect your boundaries too. It starts with us. We get to lead the way. That doesn't mean that other people won't try and cross your boundaries or they might not try and violate them. But ultimately, if you have those really firm, loving, coherent boundaries within yourself, it makes those situations a lot easier because you're not trying to get that approval from outside of yourself anymore. You already have that approval and that follow through and that integrity deep inside of you. Then the very last piece of this that I want to mention, you want to identify what the end desire is for dissolving this pattern. Every single habit and pattern, like I shared, has a payoff. It meets some kind of need, right? And we are pleasure-seeking, pain-avoiding creatures, us humans. So while you want to work on all the things that I've shared in this episode, you might also like to create a North Star for yourself and get really clear on, well, by dissolving this pattern, what am I getting? Or what am I moving towards? Who am I becoming as a result of letting this go? And this gets to be, like I said, your North Star. It's your positive, inspiring, motivating thing that's going to help you move through the darkness. It's going to help you during those tough times where it is really hard to not people please and to say no and to deal with other people disapproving of that or feeling disturbed by that. What is the reason that you are leaving this pattern behind? Is it to feel more confident? Is it to have a powerful voice? Is it to have rich, intimate, meaningful relationships? Is it that you really want to feel comfortable being seen for all of who you are and doing it unapologetically? So getting clear on what is the end goal here can give you that sustenance and give you that fuel during the moments where it's really hard to not people please, where it'd be really easy to just go into the old pattern. For many of you listening, because most human beings that I've ever spoken to have some part of themselves that feel this, most people have some sense that they're not good enough in some way. So if that's you, your end goal or your end desire for dissolving people pleasing might be so that you can finally feel good enough in the skin you're in, in the identity that you're in, in who you are. And If that is the case, if that resonates for you, understand that people-pleasing is the antithesis to that. It is literally the opposite of feeling enough because to people-please means to shrink parts of yourself down. How can you ever feel enough or feel whole if you shrink parts of yourself down? It's counterintuitive. It's counterproductive. But we all still do it. So don't be hard on yourself about it, but understand and get your logical brain on board. Like, hey, I do this people-pleasing thing or I do this thing that I do as a way of covertly people-pleasing because I'm trying to feel loved. I'm trying to feel like I'm enough that I won't be abandoned. But logically, this doesn't make sense. This is just a part of me that learned this strange coping mechanism, as many of us do. And it thinks it's being really effective, but that's actually not effective because I'm never going to feel enough or whole or love just as I am and safe in who I am if I'm hiding these parts of me or shrinking these parts of me or pretending these parts of me are not worthy of being loved. Sometimes just having 
a mantra or really short understanding like that. For example, you could put this in quotes, remember, I can never feel enough when I shrink parts of myself down. Sometimes just having the overarching statement like that, at least for me, I find those things really helpful just as these reminders. And because they're so simple, it's just a tagline or just a quote, it's very easy to grasp for that when you're in a moment of feeling really down on yourself or really activated or like deep in your shit. You know, when you're deep in your shit, the last thing you need is like a hundred step book for how to heal the thing, right? You need something you can grab onto quickly. And so that's why I love short statements like that, because they just snap me back into a remembrance of, ah, okay, this is counterintuitive. My feelings are valid, but the thoughts that come with those feelings are not actually true. And so I'm going to remember who I am. The last part of this episode, and this is going to be such an amazing teaching inside of Burn the Rules, the program that I'm launching soon. Can't wait. So excited. I know you guys are going to love it. Um, But I'm going to be teaching in this program about power accelerators, brakes, and fuel. And so what this is, is helping yourself to identify what are the things that accelerate your power? What are the things that put the brakes on your power? And what are the things that fuel your power over the long term? And so this is going to be different for each person. And that's why I love this template that I've created, because it's not like me giving you a one size fits all, here's how you be confident. It's you actually designing your confidence template, your power template, because what makes me feel confident might make you feel like shit. (laughs) You know, there are some universal teachings that will definitely make you feel confident, but I think there's so many little things in the day-to-day that can really put the accelerator on your power and then there are going to be little things that just really subtly hinder your power and then there are things that are uncomfortable that fuel your power over the long term. So I'll give you an example, something that makes me feel powerful, a really subtle thing that accelerates my power is when I feel like a snack, when I've got like an outfit on that I love, my hair's looking fire, I'm ovulating and I'm just like recording a podcast, that makes me feel amazing. And so that would be one of many things that's under my power accelerators. Then my power breaks, something that I can think of immediately is if I get like a mean comment from someone or I go down a doom scroll on Instagram of pages that are just criticizing people who are similar to me or just calling people out or canceling people, that would put a little bit of a hamper, a little bit of a dullness around my power that day. And obviously I would work through it and I wouldn't let it put my sparkle out or put my power out. But if I was doing those things all the time, that would be putting that brake pedal on the vehicle that is my power, it would be pushing that pedal deeper and deeper and deeper, especially if I wasn't doing any of the things to accelerate it. Then there's the fuel. So there are also things that make me feel really powerful that are a little bit uncomfortable. Like I don't always like doing them. They're not necessarily things that make me feel absolutely amazing in the moment. But if I do them consistently over and over again, they do make me feel amazing. They do make me feel confident as fuck and powerful. So an example would be like facing a fear. So 
I recently did this. I'm going to release a YouTube video on this soon, but I had this fear since I was a little girl. Something happened to me that was super traumatic and um, it basically just stopped me from feeling powerful in this specific area. And so I decided this year I'm going to face that fear and face the discomfort of it because I actually want to feel really powerful in that area. And I know the only way I'm going to feel good about it, the only way I'm going to get my confidence back is to face the fear and to just meet myself in that moment and to just transform that memory into something new, to something powerful. And so that's an example of something that would be on your confidence fuel list. An example might be, say you're really scared of saying no to a particular friend of yours and it feels really uncomfortable. Like when you say no, it's not this immediate thing of, oh my God, I feel so powerful now. I've accelerated my power. It's kind of more like, oh my God, I feel so awkward for saying no, but I know I need to do it and I know I need to practice doing it and I know it's going to feel easier at some point. So that would be an example of something that fuels your confidence, but doesn't necessarily accelerate it in the exact moment that you do it. But it adds to that long-term confidence, that long-term stepping out of the people pleaser. So this is a really condensed basic version of this model that I've created. Uh, like I said, I'm going to share it in this upcoming program. I don't have any links for you. I'm sorry. I'm just like fully teasing you about it right now, but I want to get you excited for this incredible program. It's going to be like this empowering party of a program. I've never seen anything else like it out in the industry. So I'm really excited to share it with you. I hope this episode was helpful to you, my love. I hope that it uh, provoked something deep within your being. I hope it summoned forward a powerful part of you that knows that you're destined to move beyond the people-pleasing patterns. I hope it gave you food for thought. And please know if you review the podcast and share it on your social media, I will send you a gift. I will send you a gift that's worth a hundred pounds. So share the love, share this episode with someone that might resonate. If you know someone in your life who is a people pleaser and they're trying to move through it, I would so, so, so appreciate that. And I'm sure they would too. It's just a really nice abundant way to circulate good vibes. So thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you in the next episode and I'm sending you so much love, strength, courage as you face these parts of yourself and transform them and live your best fucking life. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope this episode ignited you, expanded you and enriched your heart, your mind, your life in some way. If it did, reach out on Instagram. My handle is this is Amy Rushworth or you can head over to my website for all my courses, retreats, and magical offerings at amyrushworth.com. If the show feels like a vibe for you, make sure you subscribe. And if you have 60 seconds to rate and review, or even to just share the show with a friend, I would be so, so, so grateful. And it helps more amazing, beautiful people like you to discover this show and to improve their lives for the better. Stay tuned for the next episode. And until then, I'm sending you strength, grace, ferocious courage, and a friendly reminder to always love yourself fiercely and to go out there and live your most unapologetic life.